Let's pray, and uh, then we're going to get rolling. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for today. And uh, it's, it's odd, but thank you for the rain. Uh, thank you for just the reminder of um, the fact that you're in control. And so, Lord, be with us as we get into uh, this next series as we talk about the hills that every church, every believer needs to be willing to die on. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll bless this message, that all glory be given to you. And, Lord, we just praise you for your son. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. We're starting a series, and, uh, and it's, I'm not going to lie, it's a pretty intense series. And it's all about the phrase when people say, now that's a hill worth dying on. And usually use it uh, the other way. People say, well, that's not a hill worth dying on, okay? But the church needs to step back, and the church, we're the people, we're the church, needs to step back and say, what are the core beliefs that we, I mean, we just say we will not budge, we will not waver, as my mom used to say, I'm putting my foot down. I was always afraid when my mom would put the other foot down, you know, but I put my foot down. We will not, we will not waver, bend, break. We will not sway. We will not give in. This is what we're willing to lay our lives on. So you step back and say, well, what, what are those doctrines that the church feel that strongly about? And so we're going to get into one of those doctrines today. And these next few weeks, we're going to unpack some of those other hills to die on doctrines. Now, every teacher, how many teachers do we have? Raise your hand if you're a school teacher or you've ever taught in Sunday school. Anybody? Raise your hand. Good. Okay. So every teacher, parent, and grandparent would agree with this statement, that you never know when a child is actually listening and learning when it doesn't look like they're paying attention. How many? Raise your hand if you agree with that statement. Is you don't think they've heard a thing you said, and somehow they've multitasked, so they're hearing everything you said. Our oldest daughter was notorious. There was a vent in our house in Illinois upstairs, and she, she told us, she, she goes, I knew long before you ever told me when we were moving. I was mad at you for a month. I mean, she, she heard it through the vent, you know. Kids hear everything. More than, more than we realize, there's a radar around kids. So this is a story about a kid uh, and he's a little guy, probably about six years old, and he's sitting in church, and he's, he's an active kid, so obviously the parents doing everything. Uh, and if some of you remember back in the day when there was no such thing as children's church. You remember that? And you had to sit with your parents, or as I used to call that, torture. And I remember I was a real active kid, and that's this guy's active, and the, the preacher's preaching this Helen Brimstone sermon, and the, the parents are thinking, he's not paying any attention. And he used the old text about, uh, get your life right with Christ because dust to dust, you came from dust and you will return to dust. And he's throwing it down and uh, the mom is, is assuming he, he doesn't understand, he doesn't know what's going on. On the way out, he goes up to the minister. He goes, I really enjoyed your sermon today on that dust to dust. And uh, if you could, could you come over to our house and visit us today? The minister said, well, yeah, I can do that. What do you want me to do? And he goes, I'd like you to look under my brother's bed because I got to tell you, somebody's either coming or going. <laughs> dust to dust. Now, here's the deal about coming and going, and here's the very sad truth. There are a lot of churches right now, and they honestly don't know whether they're coming and going. You know why? Because they swayed away from what they would put their lives on. They've swayed away from some of these most basic doctrines. And the result 
is confusion. The result is uh, twofold. One is churches just keep splitting and splitting and splitting. Uh, Sean Green sent me this statistic. This is unbelievable. Uh, worldwide, there are 45,000 denominations, not churches, denominations, okay? Uh, just to give you a little bit of background, uh, if you're new, uh, the Christian church, like when you come in here and say Sherwood Oaks Christian Church, is a part of a movement that started uh, in the 1850s, actually, and it's called the Restoration Movement. And the whole plea of the Restoration Movement was, we are not a denomination. We will not have man-made traditions. Matter of fact, uh, what we really leaned into is where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible is silent, we're silent. Now, I love that. But from that movement, actually, three churches, denominations, came out of that one movement. Uh, the non-instrumental Church of Christ, uh, the Disciples of Christ, and then the independent Christian church. Now, this we would say we're an independent Christian church. Uh, but Sean and I were talking this week, and we were laughing. I said, what's funny about what we always say is we are a non-denominational denomination. I mean, we really are big on, we are not a denomination. Do you have a certain way you do things? Yes. Aren't you denomination? No. We kind of are. I mean, let's just be honest. But what I love, to be honest, about the Christian church growing up my whole life in the Christian church is that you really do have the freedom to choose missions. You do have the freedom. You're not sending any money. For example, none of the money that came in today for your offering goes to any organization that's making decisions for the independent church. Now, I, I actually, I really like that. But what's sad is there's so many churches that they are either splitting or you know what they're doing? They're closing their doors. Thousands and thousands of churches are closing their doors. Next week uh, in the service, I'm going to share with you a startling statistic about what's going on in Europe and how the doors are being shut and that they can't even get the doors open anymore. People won't even attend church. So we need to cling to these critical doctrines in our life. Now, just for fun, just because I, I love this kind of stuff, uh, there's a church directory they put out every year, and it has every Christian church uh, that's registered in that directory. So I went to the state of Indiana, and I counted how many Christian churches are in the state of Indiana. Anybody want to guess? 490. Now, that's not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. What I'm saying is we have a lot of churches. But the sad thing is there are too many churches. There are just too many churches that are, again, kind of slowly fading away from core doctrine. So here's the doctrine, the hill that I think the church needs to be willing to die on today, and it's the most foundational doctrine that I think there is, and it's associated with the hill, and it's the hill of Calvary. Now, I found this little article, and I just want to read you a, a section of it because I love this as it defines that hill, the hill of Calvary. Jesus was crucified on Mount Calvary where there was a minimum of 25 events that occurred from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Among them was, was the public execution of Jesus. Christ was crucified on Mount Calvary, where there was a minimum of 10 decisions that were made. Among them, Jesus refused vinegar and wine. Christ was crucified on Mount Calvary, and there was a minimum of 16 statements made. Among them, Christ, seven words on the cross. Christ was crucified on Mount Calvary where many conversations were held, but two were recorded that were very stirring. Jesus reaching out to the thief on the cross and the despicable conversation that the priest 
and Pilate had about the wording of the sign that they nailed above the head of Jesus. Christ was crucified on Mount Calvary, and there was only one sacrifice that secured for us the ultimate victory. You see, the hill we have to be willing to die on is the hill that Jesus died on. It's to say, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not used to saying amen, this would be a great time to say amen, okay? I mean, this, if, and in all honesty, if you're visiting, or you're visiting any church, and in any way they communicate that they don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is just my advice to you. Walk out of that church and don't ever come back. Because when you walk away from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you know what you have? Nothing. You have no hope. And that's why this scripture that we're going to look at this morning from 1 Corinthians 15 is such a powerful scripture. I want to read what Tim Keller said about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? You see, the issue for which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teachings, but whether or not he rose from the dead. In other words, you can't cherry pick. You can't say, well, I love the fluffy Jesus. I love the bedtime Jesus. And I love those happy stories of the miracles, but the resurrection, and I just don't know if I can buy that. Well, it isn't a case of do you buy it. It's do you want the hope that Jesus Christ, because everything hinges on the resurrection. It's the hill to die on. So follow with me in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's look at verses 9 through 17. If you're taking notes in your bulletin, it simply says, the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our faith. So let's talk about that. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles. I don't even know or even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I'm what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is or they, this is what we preach. This is what you believe. Now listen to this. But if we preach that Christ had been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ had been raised. And if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is, what's that word? Useless. So is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him in the fact that the dead are not raised. For it is the dead that are not raised, then Christ, who has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, there it is, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Now, I want you to notice what's going on there. Paul, first of all, says, I know who I am, and I am the worst of all sinners. So he doesn't start with, hey, you need to listen to me, because I've got my act together. None of us actually have our act together. We're all sinners. I mean, everybody in this room, if you walked in here and you thought, you know, I'm not really a sinner, eh, you are. I mean, we, we all fall short of the glory of God. All of us, all of us are in that boat. All of us, like Paul, have days that we think, God, I can't believe you love me after what I've done to you, how I've let you down. 
And Paul said, let me, let me give you an example of how I let God down. I persecuted Christians. We know from the book of Acts, at chapter 7, verse 58, this is how bad it was. He was going after Christians, and when Christians basically were being murdered and stoned, he was right there. They were laying the garments at his feet. So when uh, he literally had the blood on his hands. I mean, imagine that. Uh, he's going up to the body. I, I really believe he's picking up the body, I think, the blood, and he's like, we took down another Christian. So he knows if God could forgive me, if God's grace could reach me, God's grace can reach anyone. God can reach anybody in this room right now. You may walk here and thought, man, God, could you possibly forgive me? And here's the answer. Absolutely. And then he said, and because God's grace is magnificent, I couldn't wait to tell others about what God had done for me. But you know the message that I started with? The message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if I don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, my preaching is in vain. My message is in vain. And then he turns to the congregation and said, and your faith is in vain. So we need to understand that it's pivotal that we understand that the resurrection is absolutely foundational. It's what we put our faith in because without it, once again, there is no hope. You ever hear somebody say, uh, so-and-so lived a good life. You hear, you know, uh, so-and-so lived a really good life. And that's great. But it's one thing to live a good life on earth, but I would much rather live a great life with Jesus Christ on the earth beyond this. And that's what the resurrection does. It gives us hope beyond this world. Let me tell you what else the resurrection does. The resurrection kicks death to the curb. Drop down to verse 50. Boy, this is good. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, and I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will be changed. And in a flash, and in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised and perishable, and we will be changed. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has not swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, that's good. You don't need me to say any. I could sit down right now. That's enough. For you to read that and read it and read it and say, man, that is so good that the resurrection of Jesus Christ kicked death to the curb. It's the great mystery. Time and time again, he says, things are going to change. He says that because in their day and in our day, there's something that has never changed. Death is a fact. Death is a fact. Now, here's why this statement is so important as he talks about the resurrection. Uh, Paul is putting into motion a very valuable lesson that all of us know. And here's the lesson. Always think with the end in mind. Always think with the end in mind. So it doesn't matter whether it's a house project or whether you're building a house. It doesn't matter whether you're completing a course at school or you're completing at a degree. It doesn't matter if you're trying to lose a few pounds or if you're training for the Olympics. You take a plan of action, you put it into motion, but you always do what? Start with the end in mind. Everyone does. You draw up a blueprint. You, you make out a plan. We know how important it is to think with the end in mind. 
But here's what Christians need to realize. You know what the end in mind is for so many people? They think it's death. They think when they die, that's it. And when you follow Jesus Christ, here's the great news. That's not the end. That's what Paul keeps saying. You're thinking that's the end in mind. That isn't the end. That's actually just the beginning. And that's all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. See, we know in Genesis 2 and 3 that there was a fall. We all know that. We know that because of that fall, when sin entered the world, that there was toil and there was pain, and ultimately there was death. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I've grown more and more. To, I, I just hate what death does. I hate it. I hate being in the room. Uh, when a loved one is dying. I hate getting the call that someone I care for has died. Uh, I hate seeing what death does and how it affects people. Uh, all of you, I'm sure, uh, saw the news this morning, and I thought about how many lives just yesterday on 37 were taken. And I think immediately how, oh, my land. Uh, every day you pick up the paper, and what's in every paper in every town? There's an obituary. Death is real, Okay. And we may not like to talk about death, but when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can actually talk more about life. And I got to tell you, I love what God has done for us, that he has solved the great mystery about death, that it doesn't end with the grave. It's all about Jesus Christ beyond the grave. There's something beyond. Um, one of my all-time favorite movies, uh, I remember before I ever watched it, I was with the you ever have somebody that actually told you the end of a movie before you saw the movie, and then you, you, you want to punch them? You know, I mean, that's not Christian, but, you, you know. Uh, so I, I was so excited. My, not that my wife was taking the kids to her in-laws. I was just excited because I knew I was going to have some time to watch a movie. And um, so I'm talking to a couple of my buddies, um, and they're both the minister. And I said, man, I'm so excited. Uh, my wife's taking the kids to the the in-laws, and I've got, you know, a free block of time there. I'm going to watch a movie. What movie should I watch? And he said, oh, man, you need to watch Braveheart. I said, oh, man, I've, I didn't see the theater, but, yeah, I'm going to see that. And he goes, what an ending. Wow, what a great ending. He goes, just when you think it's over, you know, like when he dies. By the way, if you haven't seen it, I spoiled it for you. So anyway, and he goes, he goes, don't. He goes, you're going to be bummed out, but I'm telling you, what an ending. Well, then I'm like, well, great, now I know the guy dies, you know. So, so but I'll, if you've ever seen Braveheart, what I loved about it is his death wasn't his death. I mean, you think that's not the end of the movie. It's when you knew that the battle continued through others. I'm like, oh, yeah. And every guy's like, yeah, you know. But I look at the scripture sometimes. And I think sometimes we camp out and we stop before God wants us to stop. I think we get discouraged about, Lord, why is this world so evil? And why is life so painful? And God's like, because it's just this world. There's, there's a rest of the story you need to be aware of. You need to understand that Jesus Christ has kicked death to the curb. Oh, death, where's your sting? Where is your victory? Because ultimately, and this is what I love, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is our ultimate victory. It's our ultimate victory. Uh, we're going to share with you a short video. And one of the things that's coming in a few weeks, you're going to hear this time and time again, and I love this. It's called One Life. It's we're going to start really praying about who's somebody that you would desperately love to see come to Jesus Christ. And do you know if somebody were to come to Jesus Christ, what's the greatest message that you could share with them? You know where it starts? Right here. That this is real 
and there is a resurrection, and because of that, you have hope. So we want to share with you just a little bit about One Life. You know, a lot of people think that the most effective spiritual influencers in our church, in our community, are found right here in the hallways of the church office. It's the ministers and the staff who work so hard week after week to put on programs and craft messages and minister to people. And, and while that's true, that there's a lot of good work that happens in these offices every day, it's also true that most of us can think of someone who has never been on staff at a church, but has made a significant impact on our spiritual life. Maybe you can think of someone right now uh, who God used in your life to lead you to Christ. A person that when you were far from God, they pointed you to Jesus. If you have a story of how God used someone in your life to lead you to faith, we want to give you a chance to tell it. It could be uh, maybe a friend or a family member, uh, even a random stranger who has no idea the impact that they made on you. If you have a story of how God used someone in your life to lead you to Jesus and you'd like to share it, we want to hear it. All you have to do is send an email to Amy Porteous with a few of the details and we'll take it from there. We'd like to use these stories for an upcoming series and would greatly appreciate your help. Thanks for your time, and remember that all of us have a chance to make an eternal difference in someone's life. We just have to look for the opportunities that God gives us every single day. Yeah, I am so excited about that. So uh, I want you to think about individuals who had an impact on you, and we want that to be a ripple effect with all of our campuses. Because think of all the people that have never experienced the power of Jesus Christ, that have no idea of the hope through the resurrection. And so we're, we're praying right now as we move into the fall that uh, we can really start to bring people to Christ because, boy, when you believe in this, you realize that the resurrection of Jesus Christ truly is the ultimate victory. Uh, what I'd like us to do, I want to look at verses 56 uh, through 58, but I want us to read verses 58 together because I live this. Love this. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's read verse 58 together. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Isn't that awesome? That this message that we believe in, that we live out, it's not in vain. That this is real. And that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the ultimate victory. Uh, when my kids were growing up, um, uh, one of the things I did for each one of our kids is they all played t-ball. Have you ever been to a t-ball game? Raise your hand. Yeah. If you're having a really bad week, just go to a t-ball game. Because they are the funniest things ever, okay? So... I really loved the experience. I loved the ground rules they had, except one. So here's the rules that I loved. Uh, one rule, there will always be a coach in the field standing by the pitcher. And it doesn't matter which team, there's always an adult out there to tell the kids all the time what to do. Because you know in T-ball, when they hit in the outfield, you ever notice what happens? All nine kids chase the ball. Like, okay, no, no, somebody's got to go, you know, and they're all, and it's just, it's just crazy, you know. Um, and so they always had a coach out there. Number, the other rule I loved is only five <laughs> runs per inning. Only five runs. And then we've got to let the next team come up. Why? Because we don't want to be here till Tuesday. You know, we, we've got a limit, 
and, and so we got to put a limit on it. Uh, you got to move the kids every inning to a different position. Uh, so, this, you know, you can't have this kid always playing pitcher. And it's, so I thought, great rule. Here's the one rule that was bogus. We don't keep score. We don't keep score. Because we don't want the kids. They're fragile. They're fragile. Now, here's what's funny. When I get home, it didn't matter. Our kids knew the score. If they can count, they know the score, you know. My son Caleb especially, I'd be like, oh, son, that was great. He goes, are you kid? Were you there? We lost. I said, no, you hey, we didn't keep score. He goes, yeah, we did. It was 34 to 32. I mean, they know exactly, okay? So here's the deal. Why is that in our spirit? Even from a, a T-ball, what's in there? Why is that in your spirit? You know why? Within us, I got to tell you this, within us, God has given us a spirit of victory. You may say, oh, no, he didn't. Oh, yes, he did. Yes, he did. Remember, I did some digging, and I looked at the words uh, triumph, victory, win, 599 times you find those words. Don't tell me God's not into winning. I serve a winning God, don't you? Now, I'm so, he, and he put every bit of that in you. Now, he didn't put that in you so that every day he's like, I'm going to take you out. I, no, what I'm talking about is he wants us to have the spirit of triumph. He does. He wants us every day to say, man, you are mine, and you better, you better feel like you've won something. It's not about a game. It's about your life. And you know what it matters most? It matters most when you're at the end of your life or somebody you love is at the end of their life. And let me tell you, that's when the resurrection of Jesus Christ comes front and center. You don't believe that? You talk to any funeral director and they'll tell you that. You ask them, hey, what's it like when there's a funeral for somebody who's completely walked away from God? And then what's it like when somebody has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ? Is there a difference? And there's an obvious difference. Let me tell you, I know because I've been at enough of those funerals. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I hope every one of you here believes in the resurrection. I hope you realize that as a church at Sherwood Oaks, it's a hill we're willing to die on because it means everything. It's our hope. It means everything. Let me just pause for a word of prayer, and then I want to share something with our hearts as we lead our time in communion. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We just thank you for the power of the resurrection and the hill that we need to die on is right here in front of us. And Lord, that we need to realize that the resurrection matters every day of our lives, even when we draw our last breath and those that we love draw their last breath, that Lord, you're with us. And Lord, you have defeated death and you have given us hope. And it's in Jesus' precious and priceless name that I pray. Amen.